You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 153 of season 3, 218 of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Tuesday, September 28th, 2021, and I want to talk about beating around the bush. I'm looking here now at idioms, thefreedictionary.com. The entry for beat around the bush tells me that beating around the bush means to speak vaguely or euphemistically so as to avoid talking directly about an unpleasant or sensitive topic. This is primarily a American phrase. Some examples given are, don't beat around the bush, just tell me the truth. Or, would you please stop beating around the bush? Are you leaving the company or not? I think that was a typo. Please, would you please, probably please, Would you please stop beating around the bush? Are you leaving the company or not? Another definition is to avoid answering a question, to stall, to waste time. Example given, stop beating around the bush and answer my question. Let's stop beating about the bush and discuss this matter. If you want to be more formal, apparently. Beat around the bush. Approach indirectly in a roundabout way or too cautiously. For example... Stop beating around the bush. Get to the point. This term, first recorded in 1572, originally may have alluded to beating the bushes for game. So in other words, you have some animal you're hunting in a bush hiding from you, and you whack that bush to try and spook the animal out into the open so that you can get at them. Moving on down, beat around or about the bush, too, from the Dictionary of Clichés by Christine Emmer. Indirection in word or deed. To shilly-shally. That's one I haven't heard before. To approach something in a roundabout way. This expression for overcautiousness dates from the early 16th century when Robert ah, Whittington? Whittington? Must be Whittington. W-H-Y-T-Y-N-T-O-N, Whittington, I presume, 1520, warned, quote, along betang about the bush and loss of time, end quote. Some authorities think it came from beating the bushes for game, and indeed there are numerous sayings concerning the delays caused by too much beating and not enough bird catching dating back even further. Although the days of beaters seem remote, the phrase survives as a common cliché. Lastly, there is a reference from Endangered Phrases by Stephen D. Price. To speak evasively or misleadingly or to stall or waste time. To flush pheasants and other birds so they could be shot. British British gamekeepers hired beaters who would swing sticks at likely places where the birds might be lurking not to go directly to such foliage, but to work around it instead 
gave the impression of wasting time or not trying very hard to raise the birds, hence beating around the bush. Interesting. So that gives kind of a fuller picture of someone wasting time on purpose, deliberately trying to milk this gig for all it's worth. They must be paid by the hour. In conversation, beating around the bush is when we avoid saying what we really mean. We don't want to say what we really mean. We want to say some other thing. And the reasons for this can be many. The first one that comes to my mind is we're afraid, plain and simple. We are afraid that somebody we are talking with is not going to like what it is that we really mean. And so we don't say quite fully what it is we really mean. Now, we have to balance this, I think, because on the one hand, you have a strategy of the indirect approach from B.H. Liddell Hart. B.H. Liddell Hart, military strategist from the 20th century, served in World War I. In World War I, he was a man in the trenches watching his comrades go as they say, over the top, coming out of the trenches and making these foolhardy, reckless, dangerous, deadly, and fruitless charges at machine gun nests, at fortified positions of the enemy over and over and over again. And as a man is looking at this and watching this strategy not succeed over and over and over again, but let's do it again harder this time. And let's do it again once more with feeling. And who cares how many men we lose, how many men die. At a certain point, he starts wondering if there isn't a better way. Is there a better way to accomplish objectives besides attacking a fortified position with machine guns straight on, head on? And so after World War One, he writes books on military strategy, where he develops this idea of the indirect approach more fully. And what he says in strategy, the indirect approach is that you almost never should attack head on. You should almost always attack where the enemy is not expecting you to attack in a strength and concentration of forces and ferocity that they don't anticipate, and where they are not prepared. They're not prepared. They don't have their defenses up there. So you maybe perhaps, using World War II as an example, drop paratroopers behind their lines. Perhaps you make an amphibious assault where they don't expect you to attack in that force, in that ferocity, in that sheer volume of manpower and firepower. There is something to be said for the indirect approach. And yet, when it comes to interpersonal relationships, there are consequences to being evasive, to stalling for time. To be, to be vague is to imply that the other person can't be trusted with the information if given directly. And what you might find if they catch on to what you're trying to do, if they get wise, is that 
they're more resistant. It was the indirect approach, except they caught on to what it was you were trying to do. You were dancing around the subject. And so now their defenses are up over there and they're ready for you. And so the indirect approach becomes the direct approach again. And you have to reevaluate. But in conversation, if you are stalling for time and they catch that you're stalling for time and you're not saying what you really, really mean, they might get their defenses up. And now they're irritated that you are wasting their time, that you don't think that they're trustworthy with the information you want to provide to them. And so their defenses might be even stiffer. So let's suppose, for an example, I'm talking with my children and I am vague. Children have an uncanny knack of seizing on the loophole in what it is that you said. And you can be busy and not have thought carefully enough because you were distracted with other things going on. And so you just say something in passing, hey, do this or don't do that. You go about your business and you come back and you realize they are doing the thing that you told them not to do. They are not doing the thing that you told them to do. And so you question them on that. I told you to do this. Aha, they say. What you actually said was this. Okay, well, what I meant was, and now I'll be more explicit and I'll be more clear, what I meant was this thing. Okay? Don't do this thing. Do that thing. Don't do that thing. Do this thing. So with children, for instance, you have to be more clear and precise sometimes. But with adults... In our day and age, there's such a fluid approach to handling the truth. Subjectivism, postmodernism, political polarization, everything's political. The political is the personal. All politics is local, as the famous saying goes. And so when people start to say what they really mean, very often the conversation goes off the rails if there's even the slightest disagreement. Oh, ho, ho, not so fast. I know where this is headed. Well, wait a second. Let's let the conversation develop and let's not be impatient. So sometimes beating around the bush is what we claim the other person is doing because we lack the patience to let the conversation develop. And because, quite frankly, we might be selfish. We might not want that thing that they want. No, let's not go there. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to give you an inch. I want what I want. Period. End of discussion. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I have to be careful here as far as podcasting goes because this podcast should not be a venue for me airing dirty laundry of people in my personal life or in my working life or what have you. I don't think that's appropriate. I don't think that's a recipe for success. On occasion, I do mention personal anecdotes, situations, but I don't think it's a recipe for reconciliation, as I talked about in my last episode. If you're going to everyone else and saying, I have a problem with XYZ, 
in this person here, how they're relating, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Even more so if on a podcast you say, I have a problem with so-and-so, and now I'm going to air it right here as a way of what? Venting? Wisdom involves restraining ourselves sometimes and not saying all of what is in our minds. Wisdom will have us biting our tongue, holding our peace, when saying that thing would not accomplish a good end, actually, it would mess things up. Wisdom requires that I talk in general terms, even while I'm thinking in more specific terms, in this venue anyway. But that said, the truth generally is important to understand. Principles are important to understand. Principles of good communication can help you in specific situations. And so that's part of why I'm going here on beating around the bush. I've been told less is more recently by someone I was working with and I was giving a lot of detail, a lot of high resolution data on my piece of things and they didn't want that high of resolution data. They wanted less information, less detail, which I found to be confusing because they were also telling me they wanted more information. Well, which is it? Do you want more information or do you want less information? Or do you just not want this information? Or were you expecting to find something in the information which you have not found and which you are disappointed not to find? Perhaps all of the above. But all of those things can be true. And also it can be true that I gave a lot of information, a lot of high resolution data, and I was very direct. This is what I am doing and this is why I am doing it. This is how I am doing it. This is why I am doing it in that way. I don't need this much information. Okay. Well then, I will at least be able to mark this date down on my calendar to say, at this juncture, I told you, here's what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it that way. And if you don't have specific treatment of the information I gave you, I can only assume you are content with what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it that way from what I've presented to you. And there might be questions down the road as to, okay, well, what about this piece? And then we go into just that piece. But again, I think that impatience in our modern day, short attention spans, I talk about this quite a lot because it keeps coming up because it is a feature of the times we live in. Impatience ruins many a good conversation that could have been, but was not. We start talking over one another. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 Well, anyway, well, wait a second. That's rude. This person felt like they needed to tell you this thing. Were you clear in the information that you solicited or which it appeared you were soliciting? If you asked a question and then you didn't really listen to the answer, then why, in fact, did you ask the question? Was it not a genuine question? Was it beating around the bush? You asked a question you didn't want the answer to as a way of stalling for time because you want to give the appearance 
of trying to get information. But all the while, you have your agenda. You know what you want. You're not going to compromise on that, if at all possible. And now that I've given you information that's inconvenient to your plan, to your agenda, your program, you don't like that. La, 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 no, 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 oh, I can't hear you, can't hear you, no, 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 well, let's get very direct then, I need you to have this information, is that fair, you might not think you need this information, I need to give you this information, so that I'm covered, so that I've done my part, because I have a responsibility, and if you don't actually want this information, well then, leave me to my own devices, and let me do what I'm doing, I am, believe it or not, despite what you might think from writing and podcasting and all of that, I am more content to just go about my business, doing things quietly, working behind the scenes. And this is biblical. Paul writes this in Thessalonians. He says that we should aspire to live quiet lives, working with our hands and minding our own business. That should be our aspiration. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. And some of us work with our minds, and we have to coordinate. In fact, in this day and age, we have to work with our minds and coordinate with one another more than ever, because everything is fast-paced and connected. And yet, what you find very quickly is that a whole lot of people are not very good at communication. They don't say what they mean, or when they try to say what they mean, they don't say it very clearly. And moreover, when they're listening, they're not really fully listening. They're listening for the things that they want to hear. This is where confirmation bias comes in. This is where groupthink all too often comes in. We have a preconceived notion, and we want to support that preconceived notion and the subsequent plans we've made based on it. And so we're looking for justification. And if we don't get the justification, if we're not wise, if we're not patient, if we're not circumspect and humble, we will go on charging forward until such a time as we feel we can change our mind and save face. Or until it blows up. If it blows up and the cost becomes too high in fact and not theory, not hypothetically, then we will say, okay, well, maybe we should reconsider this. But why wait, right? That is the beauty of being able to communicate, being creatures who, at least most of us, have the general ability, even if we're not skillful, even if we could be better, we have things to work on. We have the general ability to communicate and to say things to one another, to communicate information, hopefully meaningfully, hopefully clearly. But what you find is when truth ceases to be a highly valued commodity in general, on the macro level, as a society, as a culture, when truth is less and less important relative our desires, our ambition, our ego, we get upset when people tell us the truth. And this is why Christians who know their church history, who know their Bibles, predict 
coming persecution, violent persecution of Christians. Unless there is a revival, unless there is repentance and a restoration of civil religion, we will see Christians who speak the truth, who live according to the truth, who are challenged. Who made you a judge over us, as the men of Sodom angrily ask Lot when he tries to plead with them to not do this thing? They come to his house hearing that these two angels that they think are just men, good-looking men, are in town. They want those men sent out to them so they can have their way with them. And Lot goes out and he tries to plead with them, don't do this thing. Who made you a judge over us? We're going to do worse to you. And only, again, by supernatural intervention is Lot saved from being torn to pieces by this mob of men from Sodom. But that's the risk we run when we speak the truth. Even now, although in a milder form to what historically human nature has demonstrated people will do when a culture is decadent, self-indulgent, foolish, capricious, spiteful, dishonest. Already we see a milder form in cancel culture. And cancel culture has so many parallels. It's not an original thing. It's not a new development. It is mob justice. Except it's not justice, it's injustice. Except you can't tell the mob that it's injustice because they're an unthinking, unreasoning, unreasonable, unresponsive brute beast. Watch birds in flight. A flock of birds flying is not a whole lot of individual birds thinking independently. A flock of birds in flight operates according to the collective psychology of the swarm. It has different rules that it operates according to. And the challenge for Christians is more, greater, to speak the truth, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The challenge is the greater because when you operate with integrity, you will be asked pointed questions. Well, why are you doing it this way? Don't you realize when you take two good of notes, when you're too honest, when you're too direct, when you're too detailed, that sheds light on other people who have no interest in keeping up with you, on conforming to your transformed mind on these things. We're going to do things a new way. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Well, first of all, you're not doing things a new way. You're doing them a different way from how we were doing them. And different might be better. Different might be not better. And if different is not better, if in fact we do need to be on guard for subtle ways that we are influenced by the swarm of broader society flying this direction and then that, swimming, if this were a school of fish, swimming this way and then that, if we need to be on guard about that, are we open to reason and are we content? Because this is another feature. And we see it in the Old Testament book of Daniel. 
You see these young men, these young Hebrew men who have been carried off into exile, and they are excellent. They have integrity, and they are striving to be faithful and obedient to the Lord their God in the midst of a pagan place. And the preemptive strike is that their names are even changed as a way of dominating them, as a way of putting a foot on their necks. Their names are changed to give honor to the gods of Babylon, literally. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those are all Babylonian names, but those were not those young men's Hebrew names. Their Hebrew names were a kind of auditory worship of the one true God, of Yahweh God, the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when these Babylonian youths are carried off to Babylon as a way of creating a brain drain, since that's what the Babylonian empire did, they would take the best and the brightest from conquered places, bring them back to the capital, train them, very often make them into eunuchs, but train them to serve in the administrative state of the empire. That did a couple of things. For one, it made Babylon richer intellectually, but also, too, it robbed those satellites which had been conquered by Babylon of intelligent, principled, commanding figures, capable leaders who might, if not removed from the situation, they might lead in the wrong direction. But these young men, and Daniel besides, these young men are striving to be faithful. And there's two hazards in their trying to be faithful when those around them are just going with the flow. The one hazard is you try to be faithful and it's not successful. And now you and whoever it is that permitted you to do things differently is being asked some very pointed questions. How dare you? This is unacceptable. Someone get me a whip. Off with his head. Right? The one risk you run is that you doing things differently is not successful. And you get punished for it. And then you have to go and eat crow and do things the way that everybody else was doing them again. But the other hazard is arguably more dangerous. The other hazard is that your different way of doing things is actually very successful because if everyone was doing things a different way and moreover the person leading and overseeing everyone was maintaining course on everyone doing things in this other way and now you've just demonstrated you think comprehensively enough about the thing that needs doing that you've come up with a better way to skin that cat You've not only attracted the attention of all your peers at your level, you've also potentially attracted the attention of someone higher up in the food chain who's going to feel threatened by the fact that you're successful, the fact that you're now standing out. And in the interest of not beating around the bush, you might just be a better fit to do their job than they are. And now they're the ones facing the hard questions. Hey, why aren't you doing this like Daniel does? Why aren't you doing this like 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are doing this. So in the story of the book of Daniel, you have these three youths, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their original Hebrew names, being thrown to a fiery furnace, thrown into a fiery furnace to die because they refused to obey the edict, the command to bow down when the music plays, to bow down and worship the golden statue of the king. O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It makes it into the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. You don't worship other gods, even symbolically. Daniel, for his part, will only pray to the Lord his God. He refuses to pray to the king. There's an edict that is contrived by his jealous peers in which the king is convinced through flattery that an edict should go out that for 30 days no one can pray to anyone except the king. Daniel hears the edict, he goes home, and he immediately prays to Yahweh God. His rivals, who didn't want to keep up with him, weren't willing to go to him and ask for advice, direction on how to keep up with him. His jealous rivals immediately report this to the king. And the king is very sad and he realizes he's been set up. He's been played because he loves Daniel, because Daniel is competent. Daniel is good at his job. Moreover, Daniel has a good attitude. Daniel has integrity. And so his hands are tied. He can't go back on his edict. He might have a revolt. He would lose face. Next thing you know, he's being overthrown. If these guys are willing to set him up and use him and play him like a fiddle to get Daniel out of the way, well then, maybe they want his job too. So his resolution is, I'm sorry, I got to throw you to the lions, paraphrasing, but God shuts the mouths of the lions and God delivers Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fiery furnace. The important lesson here, I think, is that despite the cost of providing things honest in the sight of all men, we have to be honest. We have to have an unwavering commitment to truth, to goodness on God's terms. And if we will, if we do, yes, we might be persecuted for, we might be punished, we might be schemed against, we might find ourselves, rather than being rewarded in this life, we might find ourselves suffering. And yet, as I talk about often, Jesus says, do not fear men who can only kill the body and then have nothing more they can do to you. Fear God. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we should want to be wise. Also, one of the warnings that Jesus gives in the Gospels is to not do your good works before men like the Pharisees do, because they want to be seen by men. They want the reward of having a great reputation. When you give, give in secret, so that your father who sees in secret will see and reward you. But if you are doing these good things before men to be seen by them, to be recognized by them, 
You should not imagine that you're going to receive a reward from God as well. You've already received your reward for whatever it's worth. So to be very, very direct, take the lumps. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but be willing to pay that cost. Count it, pay it, because there's a reward from God. And if we don't believe that, well, then we might as well just go with the flow. But if we do believe that, then we can have hope and we can endure mistreatment, slander, men saying all manner of evil against us. We can endure that. And only in that way can we endure. That's all I got, though. I got to run. I've got an appointment at 8 a.m. It is 6.40. Happy to have for however long my schedule back, be able to create content in the mornings. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.